0: Hello there and welcome to the first ever uh, Raising the Roof podcast. Um, I'm your host here at Yorkshire Housing, uh, Nick Atkin, um, and this is the first episode in our first season um, of podcasts. We're looking at the topical issues that are having an impact on the the housing world, but we're deliberately trying to think more widely than just housing. there are six more in this season, so so keep an eye out for, for the details of the topics and who's taking part and the dates for those. Um, and all of the podcasts will be available via your usual podcast provider platforms. Um, as you can tell, I've been watching the uh, listening to the Peter Crouch podcast, so I've been nicking all his, his ideas in terms of the intros. Um, so on to today, and and what better way to, to kick off um, a new season than genuinely with two of my, my favourite people. Um, whose views, interestingly, I, I always listen to and learn from, but I never admit that to them until actually today. As as we're emerging from from lockdown um, today, we're, we're looking at the things to watch out for, um, and particularly over the next few months, uh, what might be in store for for all of us, both in our home lives and also our work lives. So, a very very warm Yorkshire welcome to um, first of all to Andy Davis. Uh, Andy's the Chief Clinical Officer at both NHS Warrington and Holton CCGs, um, and also to Charlie Norman, who's the Chief Exec at Care St Vincent's. Um, just by way of a brief intro, because they're, 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 they're both um, very understated in what they do. So Andy's an award-winning uh, GP, um, and uh, by background, uh, he's based in, in the Northwest, as is Charlie, but we're not going to hold that against them, um, even though this is a Yorkshire Housing podcast. Um, Andy has uh, been uh, sort of overseeing and continuing to plan for the response to, to the pandemic in, in across both Holton and Warrington. Um, and interestingly, uh, something you might not know about Andy is that um, romance blossomed for him, um, like life on the set of Casualty uh, when he was a junior doctor in his first uh, hospital placement um where he met his wife who was working there as a nurse so um there you go we've, we've actually got true life sort of casualty romance with us today um andy has been absolutely pivotal i think for many of us in his uh unique interpretation of covid really clearly explaining how the virus behaves and, and the impact it has in in plain english terms and here at yorkshire housing uh, we love people who just are straight talking. He's um, really what I would class as the northwestern, slightly more lively version of Professor Chris Whitty. So uh, probably not an intro that Andy's ever been given before, but but that that's that's Andy. And I think it's fair to say that some of Andy's key headline stats and and his messages have been a key influencing factor behind how both myself and and I know many others in the housing sector. Have been able to keep both our colleagues and, and customers safe. So that's Andy. So over to Charlie. Charlie, as you've heard, um, is a is a is a big dog lover, um, and uh, she's worked in housing for a few years. I won't tell you how many, um, but she's been based both in the northwest and also prior to this, she was the Groover in Vancouver. Um, a big nod there to, to Brian Adams, uh, Mrs. Atkin's favorite uh, favorite uh, musician. Um, and she'll be happy if she's listening, but that's very unlikely. She thinks most of the things I do are nonsense. So, uh, but anyway, I'll give, give a nod anyway. Um, in addition to the fab work that, that Charlie um, is, is delivering through, through MSV and, and what they're doing to create more homes that people can afford, um, they're also doing a huge amount in terms of improving life chances of, of <laughs> the customers uh, in their local okay. communities in term, and also the opportunities. But in addition to that, and in addition to trying to keep her dogs quiet as well, she's also a, a big volunteer in a, in a local area, um, as well as being a board member on, on two national bodies. So goodness knows, I thought I took a lot of Barocca, but Charlie must 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 really sort of be on wholesale amounts. Um, building on, on the run for homes a few years ago when she uh, learned a whole new uh, language uh, with work, walking alongside John Lord, she's now looking to go it alone uh, post-lockdown. Um, and complete the Lake District 24 Peaks Challenge uh, for Mind. So that's the intro's over. That's the the panel for today. Um, so here we go. First over to you, Andy. And I suppose just to to an easy start. What's the latest on the virus?
1: <laughs> uh, well, thanks, Nick. It's been a long road, road, hasn't it, getting here? Sort of uh, with coronavirus. It, it is still around, um, obviously, but the the figures are looking a lot better. And partly that's. Because of everybody's efforts staying at home doing the hands face space and keeping the nose open which i think have landed really well but certainly in terms of case rates we're down to about 39 per hundred thousand and if you remember when we started we were getting worried if we went above 20 per hundred thousand that was a well, you know you need to think about whether you should be traveling so we're getting back down to those levels and um excess mortality type data and perhaps touch on that a bit later but excess mortality so the number of people who've died this year compared to a similar period in previous years has, has dropped right down uh, still slight excesses um in in some of the younger age groups uh, unfortunately but the older age groups where the vaccine's been rolled out that's now dropped below sort of the the usual figures in terms of uh, numbers of deaths and hospitalizations i think we're just under 500 uh, people in crit care in the country now so that's a lot better than it was. So um, everything's going the right direction.
0: And You, you mentioned there about vaccination, Andy. Just um, one of the things I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around is how mass vaccination helps, because I suppose the, my understanding is that the, the, the evidence is still unclear as to whether you, you can still carry the virus, even though it might not affect you directly because you're vaccinated or, or might not lead to more severe symptoms so do you know where where we're up to on that do you the latest on that yeah so um it's it's one of the things isn't it do
1: you get what we call sterilizing immunity so it completely nukes the virus and stops it spreading or does it just help with symptoms i think we're on the side of um it's a bit of both really we get sort of good symptom relief from it so you get less severe disease uh, and pretty much no hospitalization with the current variants if you've got uh, the vaccine on board and particularly after the second dose, that effect boosted for much longer and much more impactful. Uh, there's some indication that it reduces the viral load that you carry. So if you imagine the viruses can't copy themselves, they hijack host cells to make copies. Uh, so what happens is they come in, your cells will make lots and lots of viruses, they, they shed those out and then they come out in, in droplets and, and aerosol. Uh, which then gets carried to somebody else. So if you imagine a cloud around yourself of virus particles uh, when you're infectious, if you've had the vaccine, that cloud's a lot less dense and travels a lot less far because of that. So the risks of somebody actually getting a dose of the virus by being in proximity, somebody who's been vaccinated does go down, Um, that's not been quantified, but there's an impact on transmission as well. Uh, even though we're not getting sterilising levels of immunity. And we've seen that because of the reducing case rates, even though we're unlocking some of the lockdown measures, uh, we're still getting a reduction in in the case rates. So that's positive, which is why the the gateway tests are there to give time to see. well, if we start to open up this bit of what we do, uh, what impact does that have on transmission? And so far, that downward slope has been maintained.
0: And... And I suppose that's that's great, and uh, you know we've got over half the adult population now now vaccinated, and but we keep hearing about the third wave in in Europe, and also we've seen the stats in Brazil where you know where sadly there's, they've just hit the grim total of over four thousand deaths per day. Uh, what do you think we need to be ready for a third, a fourth, a fifth wave? Where where do you see this going? Uh, where's the end? I suppose because we we keep been told to be cautious and things are getting better but we're then also told that um there's, there's another wave that's going to hit and there might be something else after that and we're unclear about what's going to happen in the autumn and we be told there might be winter lockdown so I, I just what's your sense really Andy I know you have talked before about really well about how the virus mutates and that scares the living daylights out of me when you tell me how many mutations there actually are compared to the ones that are that get into the into the media but I suppose. Where, where do you see this this heading is it is it going to be like flu and uh, and mumps and, and and measles and all those sorts of things where it just becomes part of life to be immunized or is this different so I think you have it right when you say it's probably
1: something we're going to have to live with um so looking at it we talk about endemic viruses and most viruses that we have in society come from an animal reservoir at some point in the past and they just stick around and, and they become an annual problem. Um, interestingly, this year, we had much less incidents of flu over winter. We usually have a, a really um, heavy flu season in this country and we've got a good vaccination programme for that. But with the social distancing measures that were in place, we saw less flu as well. So um, there's, there's some lessons there for managing general uh, endemic sort of cyclical viruses um, that, that spread in similar ways so um i think with coronavirus it will get the immunity that we get from the vaccine we'll have wild type immunity from people who've had it um it's unlikely that any individual set of mutations completely invalidate vaccines or natural immunity they can sort of lessen it um it's not common that you it, you get something which is called an, a complete escape so the the antibodies that you've got don't work and why is that? Because if you think about viruses, they have to get in the cell somehow, so they have a key that fits a lock. And most of the antibodies that we vaccinated against are, are most of the anneals, so the bits that the body needs to react to, that it presented, basically trigger antibodies to the key. So if you imagine a key and you get a load of blue tack and stick a load of blue tack all over the key, it ain't gonna fit in the lock anymore. So it doesn't open the door. Um, The other bit is if the virus mutates to try and escape all of those different antibodies, you change the shape of the key, so the key doesn't fit the door. Um, So by doing what we've done and targeting the the way the virus enters the cell, it it really helps with that escape risk because we've, we've specifically targeted the bit that allows it to start the process of replication. So even though it might change and that might affect the um, what we call the efficacy of the vaccines, so you might get perhaps more significant disease or slightly more hospital admissions, it's not going to completely invalidate the work. So we're, although we talk about, you know, it's a bit like that big snake at the end of Snake and Ladders, you, you, if you roll the long numbers, you're going all the way back to square one, I don't think we're going to hit that snake. That doesn't happen often.
0: Chris Whitty could learn loads from you, he really could, Andy. He needs to get Snakes and Ladders board up that that briefing session and just, just show us where it goes. And I think that is reassuring because I think you know we, we, the media in some ways have, have not helped some of the reporting I think on this in terms of talking about the mutations and and I you know certainly for me I've spoken to some of my friends and and they're a little, some are reluctant to have the vaccine because they sort of say well I could have the vaccine and it will mutate and I'll have to have another one and and you know yeah. and, and so that that's really really helpful I think. Do you think we could, do you think we will get a third wave? And if so, do you think when do you think that will hit? So in the northwest, we've kind of had a third wave already.
1: We had a we had the, the first wave way back when it started, sort of March, April time um, in 2020. We had sort of like a late summer wave, uh, August, September, and then we had a, a really big peak, which peaked around about the eighth of January. Um, so and that was a, what we call a progressive peak. So it, it when you get two peaks that are consecutively high, what that means is you've got Uh, unchecked spread in community of a virus so um, that was quite worrying because that could have gone on Um, in terms of third, fourth um, with the release from lockdown although the vaccine is doing a good job we haven't got to everybody yet so there's likely to be more cases in the younger age groups and certainly below the vaccinated age we'll see more cases there and there'll be a proportion of those who will become sick and need hospital um, through that Will it be as severe as as the other peaks? Hopefully not, because the most vulnerable people have been covered off. So we might see more case rates, but less conversion to hospital stays, less need for critical care, and obviously uh, less mortality, which is really positive. Um, That does allow the virus to spread more. And obviously, if you spread a virus more, you make more copies, more of those copies produce mutations, which may or may not be beneficial in terms of spread. So having more virus around just in and of itself is never a good thing because it gives it more opportunity to think about, well, it doesn't think because it's not really alive, but to to mutate and exploit any niches that are left for spread. So it's, it's worth keeping an eye on that. And that's why the phased rollout programs are really important. If you took everything off all at once, you just have still, you know, 50% of the population, roughly that haven't been vaccinated and only a couple of percentage of those will have any immunity at all that's a lot of people that can start becoming vac- uh, virus factories to help build the next mutation basically
0: yeah i suppose that's a, that's a really good uh, response also to those who say you should just let it rip through the community and 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 mm-hmm. then get herd immunity it's it clearly sort of that, that sort of undermines some of that. Um, and I know I, I saw Charlie's expression when you are talking about two peaks and she was like thinking, two peaks, I'm doing 24 when I get out of lockdown. So, you know, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I you yeah, know, we perhaps need to put that into context. Big, biggest question of, of all really, Andy, for you, uh, before we before we move to Charlie, it's probably the one that most people listening to this will want to know. Um, will you and the wider population of the UK be holidaying abroad this summer?
1: Um. Probably not, I'm going to say. Probably not. Mm. I think d- two reasons. One is we won't have enough people vaccinated that will want to go. And even if we do go, I think that just the, the overhead of doing it and the risk of bringing something back be too high. I mean, if you look at what's going on around the world, we're, we're lucky. We're sort of coming down off our, our worst peak. Other areas are going up their peak. So, uh, and that'll take a good few months in terms of just the disease risk, but also the infrastructure. I mean, they, they're going to have businesses that will, will shut down and it's how quickly can they come back on to support uh, tourism and leisure. Um, we're a good few months out and we've still not reopened and, and given Boris's irreversible pint. So well, that that's coming apparently and that's a few months down the line. And then you've got to think about we're going to start ramping up for winter and all that comes there in a, in a year with lots of unknowns this year so I think infrastructure wise we're going to be struggling for a, another 6-12 months and probably have an impact to this for two years while we
0: think about what is it we bring back on and how. So Ryanair's advert earlier this year to jab and go um, was a bit uh, a bit presumptuous was it?
1: Well, given that given the flights cost about, what, 30, 40 quid, if you're going somewhere fairly close each way, and it's going to cost about 200 quid for a PCR when you get back, it might put people
0: off. <laughs> right, well, you heard it here first. <laughs> put your staycation now. Uh, they're only going to go up in price. Uh, <laughs> I can I can feel the whole of the UK tilting to the southwest as everybody goes to Devon and Cornwall for <laughs> this summer. Yeah. So, uh, um, so thanks, Andy, Charlie. Sorry, we'll, we're we're come to you now. I, I suppose, given what you've you've heard from from Andy there, and, and from what we know from our previous conversations with Andy, um, what what does all this mean for you, and 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 also personally, also for for MSV? You know, how's all this pan out for you?
2: and it's always fascinating to listen to mandy isn't it um and probably nobody's listening now because everybody's gone off to book this dedication <laughs> um so yeah for uh firstly for me as a as a person um this has been a very scary humbling time hasn't it and um as a mum, I guess I've been really worried and as a leader, I've been really worried about everything and like everybody in our sector, I think we've done an absolutely brilliant job, you know, trying to respond to this unprecedented, I know that you, that word's used massively, but, you know, none of us had this on our strategic risk registers, did we, or um, had, had thought about this or, or put mitigation plans in place for a, pan, a worldwide pandemic. Um, So I I think for me, I'm definitely not booking a holiday and I'm definitely not going back in a mosh pit anytime soon uh, when the gigs start to resume. Uh, And I'm just glad to have had my first job and my daughter's had her first job because she's got an underlying health condition and and I've been really worried about her. And my focus is very much on keeping um, everybody uh, in my family safe and also the business of an MSV and its community safe. So... I think you know the the pandemic collided with 10 years of austerity with a housing crisis with a climate crisis with um, massive issues facing people in terms of social care and health issues and all of that i mean we, we can't forget what came before this and the way we've sort of messed with the planet has has led to this as well in my view and i know andy's got a similar view and um I think we've got a big job to do. I think we've, we've responded really well. And what MSB has done, uh, like most organizations, we've we we've reset our sort of corporate strategy for the next couple of years. We were already working on something themed around people, planet, and place. And that people, planet, and place thing has really come to life for us, because this. at the end of the day, we are about people, aren't we? And, and we're about our customers and the support that we've given to people in our communities and how we we help people to recover from this. Planet was already central to our strategy and that sustainability thing around um, what do we do to reduce carbon emissions, but also fuel poverty and people living in a a decent warm home and uh, the skills that people need to, to to do that work and and reducing bills so like that skills and bills thing um, and then place the place and the home that we have has just been brought into massive sharp focus hasn't it you know we've all been looking at where we live and the, how we use our home and whether it's suitable and pandemic proof I guess for the future but also you know people have been living in cramped overcrowded housing conditions or unhealthy living conditions or uh, have been feeling unsafe or have no green space or no air quality and all those things i think we've got to take a good hard look at some of the sort of regeneration needs and some of the the way that we're building houses in the future as well so um i think there's, there's there's a lot on that people planet and place thing and the people side of things is about how we've managed as a business and how we've supported our colleagues because everybody's been through a trauma, haven't they? This has been a traumatic experience for everybody and for our communities. And I think talking to some teams and and, uh, neighborhood offices and people like that during the last 12, 14, 15 months, however long it's been, it's been so long. People have said to me that they've, they've got to know their customers more during this time, even though people have been working from home. Um, they've been really getting into the detail of what people need and, and the support that they've needed. Some people have just been really happy to go with like you know digitalization and more transactional stuff online and that kind of thing and some people have needed more support so we're really sort of focusing on that and accelerating some of our plans of being digital with a heart is how we describe it so um and then the the people planet in place corporate plan has got three phases and and the the phases were recovery and we're in that recovery sort of phase now aren't we although we keep going in and out of it and i think things are uncertain aren't they still as as andy said and uh uh, the reimagining phase of like you know how do we reshape our services how do we work in the future with working on something called flexible futures and um resilience and building resilience the resilience word is 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 key isn't it you know we didn't have very good resilience going into this and we need to use our platform i think as community anchors and and organizations that work with um communities to actually help people to build resilience and i think the thing that has come to light more than ever before for us is that the word kindness and we talk about kindness and we have Two sort of mantras within MSV. One's about do the decent thing. If you do the decent thing in all your dealings, then you 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 can't really argue with that, can you? So the next phase of the pandemic is like a, a contagion of kindness, as opposed to the pandemic we've been talking about. That would be wonderful. So we're clinging on to that, being kind to each other and being kind to our community. So that's what it's meant for us. I mean, there's loads within that, and. You know, I think I think we've got to use this to sort of tackle those big systemic issues that we had before, around overcrowding, around inequalities, and and COVID sort of traced the entrenched lines of inequality, hasn't it? So, and the climate crisis, and the housing crisis. So we need more homes, we need better homes, we need better opportunities for people. And I'm on like a rampage at the moment about young people, uh, and and how we support young people to recover from this because it's it's been massive. I mean, it's been massive for everybody, hasn't it? But um, you know, um, accessing jobs, uh, people have had missed education. Uh, What are the aspirations and ambitions for people in the future, this generation of young people and future generations? And we're doing loads of work in partnership in Greater Manchester to look at that, how we can play our part and be helpful with that. So Mm -hmm. there's not much to do, Nick, as you know. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I, I feel really driven to sort of try and recover really well from this and a better normal in future.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think some real sort of key messages out of that. I mean, I wrote down six things and you know, like I love that people, planet and place. Uh, I thought skills and bills was a great way of sort of describing what, you know, the, the role that housing associations can, can, and the difference it can make. Digital with a heart was just music to my ears. Um, I thought the flexible futures again, um, and and do the decent thing. But I have to say, a contagion of kindness, you know, going into the first lockdown, I think I I saw a, Uh, 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 like many of us I saw a huge difference in terms of people and how they were with each other Mm -hmm. you know I spoke to some of my neighbours I've lived here 15 years and I'm I'm embarrassed I'd never spoken to some of them and we actually were you know we were all dancing on our doorsteps every Sunday night you know and and there was a real sort of sense of of coming together and and so I think you know some of that that continuing that and continuing that bonding that we've had as humans I think is really key Charlie, one of the things I just wanted to touch on with you, because you, you've yeah. talked about some of the things that you're doing, which are, which are great and don't surprise me at all, but but I think one of the things that's been slightly hidden away, although it it, it did come up last, last summer um, because of the Black Lives Matter uh, mm-hmm. uh, movement, but, but I think you work working with some of the most culturally diverse communities probably in the country. Yeah. Can you just give us a, a sense of how they've been affected disproportionately as a, as a from the impacts of COVID, but in terms of whether that's, uh, you know, socially, economically, what, what have you seen? And, and, and you know, just, just paint, a, if you could just in a couple of minutes, paint a picture of of how you, you've you seen that that be disproportionately different in its impact.
2: Well, I think it's been a huge wake up call. And um, I think, you know, a lot of us were, were talking about uh, racial inequality before and about, inequality generally and as I said you know the COVID seems to have just tracked that sort of those lines of inequality doesn't it in society um, and we've seen that first hand I mean you know unbelievable we've had we've had a lot of deaths in some of the areas that we work in some of our really sort of loved customers and, and community champions have, have sadly passed away um, and um, we've seen lots of sort of trauma with young people in in some of the areas that we work because we work with a lot of younger disadvantaged people, and uh, we work in in some sort of areas where I think that we've got sort of 57 languages spoken in one of our areas and um, massively diverse communities, and and that's something we celebrate and something we're positive yeah. about, and which is, and so I I think we've got to sort of like hang on to that sort of celebrating the diversity and not sort of talking it down but also a good hard look at uh, the reality of, of what we're dealing with and this whole sort of notion of leveling up and um you know dealing with inequality and all of this is I think we've got a moment here and I can feel it and see it in and it's just it's just palpable so for example in Moss Side one of the areas that we work in um that people are actually starting to call things out now and we we've we've set up a well i didn't do it it was some really driven people within our organization set up an anti-racism task force uh, and just a a sort of movement within the business if you like and sort of a call to arms to get people together to share in a safe space their experiences of, of everyday racism and things that people have, have, have experienced and how people feel that this pandemic has hit um, certain groups unfairly. And I think it has, you know, those with underlying health conditions. Um, we, we're, we're actually, we're working with um, an organisation called Khan on the vaccine programme as well, and making sure we get out there and, and reach out to people to make sure that people are taking wow. the vaccine, because there is a lot of scepticism. There's a lot, you know, within certain communities. Um, and so I think more than anything, it's it's just been a... A real focus for us that we do, we are lucky enough to work within those very, very diverse communities. And so, what we've got to do is be part of that call to sort of more funding, more understanding, more cultural um, appropriateness about the way that we work. And it's been a moment, I think, the George Floyd tragedy and all the ones that went before that. And the Black Lives Matter movement and the anti-racism forum that we've got in the business. We've, we've set up a, a new LGBTQ plus forum as well. And so we really sort of uh, we're going through an investors in diversity program at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've got still got a long way to go, even though we're we're, I think we, we do very well in that sort of area. I think we've got a long way to go. We've got to learn from each other to understand that some people have been put at more risk because they're in lower paid jobs. They're potentially living in overcrowded circumstances, the people who've been going out doing the bus driving and the cleaning and working in hospitals and in frontline services every day, putting themselves at more risk. And we just need to value people more. So um I, I just think it's been a, a huge wake-up call, as I said, and, and just it's just put a bit of fire in our belly to do even more yeah. than we did before. So.
0: yeah. No, that's great. Thanks, Charlie. And I, I suppose it's a it's a real wake-up call for us all when, when somebody like yourself, who who certainly for me, I look at the work that you and MSV are doing as, as really sort of leading leading the way on this. And for you to say that you've you know there's still a huge amount more that you need to do really does bring it into into sharp focus, just the, the challenge for all of us, because you're right. I think the one thing that this pandemic has done is has exacerbated or widened the inequalities that were already there. In many cases, we we're, we're hidden away, and as housing associations, you know. We probably see more of that than the most other parts of society, but um, I, I think, yeah, certainly there's, there's a big wake-up call there for us. So, th- thanks for that. Um, I suppose I just want to to sort of move, move on a little bit in terms of trying to plan ahead for what's coming. So, at the moment, you know, we've been told work from home if you can, but there are now some messages starting to to emerge out of government, which um, yeah, I think I think one of the funniest ones I heard was. Um, Uh, You know, those people have been working from home, have had enough time off now, and they need to get back into the office and start doing some work, which I thought was probably not the best message I've heard from government. Um, But um, that putting that to one side, Andy, I, I think one of the things that really, really helped inform, I know, my approach to keeping people safe was in the early days of the pandemic, when you shared very clearly and very eloquently the risk of transmission in an indoor environment and particularly in an office with air conditioning and air that's recirculated. And I know we've done a lot in terms of um, social distancing and, and making work the workplace uh, more, um, more COVID safe. But COVID, as you say, it's not, we're going to learn to live with it and, and life will, will move on where do you think both of you really so whichever one of you wants to jump in first where where do you think all this fits yeah charlie you talked about opportunity do you think there's an opportunity here in terms of how we work in the future and and if so how will you and how will your colleagues be working in the future do
2: you want me to answer that right and either whoever
0: whoever wants you you're you're in the you're up you've got the mic so you go first okay. Charlie, and then i'll come Thank to Andy. You.
2: Um, I I think we we just all need a less traditional mindset on this stuff, don't we? So um, I think there are big opportunities. I think some of the big strategies we've got going forward, like that sustainability zero carbon strategy, that's going to help us create job opportunities, isn't it? And I'm a sort of glass three quarters full type person and and rather than half full or half empty. Sometimes it has been empty in the last um, 15 months. It's been a strange time. I think uh, for MSV we were we were already on the trajectory, trajectory. I can never say that word. We were already going agile, and uh, because of our geography and the way we work. So um, I think you know we've got we've got to we've been in an extreme situation, haven't we? We've had colleagues on the front line who've been going day in day out to schemes to support people and um, operatives going into people's homes putting themselves at risk and really grateful to them and then those of us who've been working at home and actually we're actually working from home it's outrageous so we've been on, <laughs> on holiday Um it's all been very extreme hasn't it so uh, what we don't what we don't want to do is go back from this, this extreme to yeah. another extreme which was busy frazzled commuting lives that we had before which you know was was no good for any of us so I think it's going to be all about balance and we we've as I said before we've talked about flexible futures we're, we're, we're engaging with our whole workforce at the moment and um, I do subscribe to your sort of anytime anywhere and um, think about the way that you work Nick I think it's absolutely right can't be for everybody because you know you've got people who have to put uh, to be at in within schemes in certain times and things like that but even that can, you can offer flexibility, um, but I think people need people. So we're, what we're doing with is going with collaboration spaces. So when you do need to be with people for a project, so you've got new people, need to spark off others, uh, then we'll have collaboration spaces. But the the concept of the office and the nine to five and all of that, I mean, it's 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 kind of nineties, not even like noughties, is it? So, um, and so that flexible futures offer for us will be about. Um, you know, if, you, if you've got really critical pieces of work to do, just stay at home to do them, everybody's set up where we can do that, uh, and then offer a blended approach for the way that everybody at work, collaboration space or working at home or out in the community, going for a walk with somebody, having a coffee, whatever it is you need to do, just get the job done and we'll trust you to do it.
0: That's great, thanks, Charlie. And you've nicely teamed me up for one of our future podcasts, which is the Martini principle of the future of work, any anyplace, any anywhere. So thanks for that. And um, we're just cantering into the last five minutes. I've got a quick fire round, uh, which I didn't warn you about in advance. So, uh, but there is a quick fire question round coming up. But Andy, same same thing to you. How how is this? What's this going to look like for you? And how the NHS and particularly the CCGs that you oversee will will be operating. CCG is going to be different, aren't they? They're not going to be here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, ICS is uh,
1: going to be the thing. So I, I think um, what healthcare provision, there's been massive leaps and bounds, use technology to, to help people access care. I think there's there's a balance, isn't there, between the the human contact that's essential in building trust, confidence, and understanding um, around sort of fairly challenging times in people's lives a lot of the times. And at the, at the lowest level, somebody's presentation to a healthcare sort of professional is because they're worried about something that they can't explain Uh, and sometimes there's a perfectly reasonable ordinary explanation and sometimes you have to do more and it might lead to you know some uh, diagnosis and treatment that that can be quite scary at times so I think we've got to get that balance right Uh, technology can certainly help us with planning of care and making sure we've got the right care in the right place at the right time not quite the martini principle, but that's what we use. Um, And uh, although martini will go a long way sometimes, the um, getting that sort of built better uh, is right. And I think sort of Charlie touched on some of the other things broader in society that around, you know, coronavirus has exploited a niche in our uh, community, hasn't it? And if you look in 1975, the world had 4 billion people. It's just about 8 billion now. Oh. so and for most of our time on this planet as a species we've had less than a billion people uh, by far and away the, the most time so we're in a new set of circumstances where there's enough human beings on the planet that we actually affect the planet and mm. um, and that that's never been the case really for the for the for the vast vast majority of the billions and millions of years that the planet's been around and things that we're doing like urbanization, working in offices, working in cities, packing in offices and working out what's the maximum number of people you can pack in by square meter and give them enough air to breathe. That That's not perhaps the best strategy going forward and when you look at things like coronavirus it, it's exploiting that niche and our major outbreaks were going down until about 2010. They've started to go up so we've got something about the way that we live that we need to change and all of those practical things that we can do to build in a bit of a firewall in those chains of infection to our societies really important
0: right okay and that that fits perfectly with with Charlie's uh, summary before of people, planet, and place. And, and as ever, Andy, some killer stats in there that just make you go, what? Have I heard that right? So so thanks for that. Right, so we're entering the last two minutes. So it's a quick fire round now. Um, so I literally sort of, uh, I'll give you some multi-choices or ask for a short answer. First one, I've got three syringes in my hand and you haven't had a job yet. Um, Moderna, Pfizer, or AstraZeneca. Which one do you go for? Charlie, you first.
2: Any of them, because I, tr- I trust the science. Oh.
0: Andy? Uh, well
1: I've, I've ended up having astrazeneca i didn't express a choice and i'd agree that much with muchness different routes to the same outcome.
0: okay great you, you should both be politicians great political answers so second thing you're both board members of other organizations what one top tip would you give for um, your uh, board members any board members listening as we come out of the pandemic what is it they need to be doing uh, to support their organisation in less than 10 seconds? Andy? Uh,
1: be kind to people, treat them well, and uh, get more people, work them less hard.
0: Fantastic. And I suppose that's advice for me as well. So, Charlie, over to you. I
2: completely agree with that. I'll stick on the <laughs> Contagion of kindness theme I think uh, we are about people aren't we and uh, just treat people well and uh, treat people kindly and with respect and everything else should flow from that and just one more thing I think um, longer term thinking because we, we live in a short term world don't we and I think now more than ever we need to sort of think longer term as we respond to crises and things keep thinking longer term about the impact you have now on this generation and future generations and being a good ambassador i don't know if people have read that book but it's fantastic being a uh, sorry a good ancestor
0: we'll put a link at the bottom the the link to this podcast so thanks for that charlie it's a final one from me what's the single biggest learning point you've taken from the last 12 months charlie uh
2: not to take anything for granted uh including you know everything in your life like enjoy the little things um that kindness thing be kind to people um and uh just make sure that you're ready for anything that can happen because life is so uncertain
0: absolutely and i love the way you don't follow the rules as well four things for the price of one great charlie love it that's what i love about you. (laughs) (laughs) andy andy same to you and then we're going to wrap up um be adaptive be adaptive okay that's great Andy, Charlie, thank you so much. I couldn't think of a better way to, to kickstart this, this podcast series. And, and as ever, you haven't let us down. It's been fantastic. I can't believe that's 40 minutes up. Jade, who who's doing the controlling here, she's, she's scowling at me to finish because she knows I want to continue. But a massive, massive thank you uh, for, for kickstarting the process. It's been a great conversation. Absolutely loved every minute of it. Um, and for everybody listening, um, that's all we've got time for today. So, so thanks for listening. Uh, the next episode, is Charlie and Andy have beautifully lined me up to, to remind you, is the Martini Principal. Um, you can find that, this and all other episodes wherever you find your usual podcasts. My name's Nick Atkin from Yorkshire Housing. Thanks very much for listening. Until the next time, stay safe, stay well. Thank you.